have you <clears throat> ever had the feeling that what you're saying is going in one ear and out the other, especially with your kids? You know, have you ever stopped right in the middle of a sentence and said, listen to me, pay attention, or this new, you know, this thing that we do? You know, I know I, know I have. I used to do it quite often with one of my kids. I'll not say which one. All I say is that I used to grab him, <laughs> hold both shoulders, point him in my direction, and say, look at me. And then I'd tell him what I wanted him to hear. He had to know that I wasn't just talking. I was talking to him. And he needed to pay attention because I expected him to act upon what I was saying. Well, I have to admit that there are also times that I would like to do that in the middle of a sermon. You know, the old colonial churches may have had something when deacons walked the aisles with a pole to make sure everybody paid attention. You know, on one end was a feather to tickle the ladies to keep them awake. And on the other, a brass ball to wake up the men. Kind of like that. You know, there are times when I know that I've been shut out. I can see that glazed look. You know, when someone is... Letting what I say just kind of flow in and out. Maybe not even get close to their, their brains. And that can be very frustrating. Especially when what you're saying is important. And your audience needs to pay attention. And I think Jesus was even bothered by this. How many times in the Gospels do we find him saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I think that was his way of saying, listen up, pay attention. Don't let this just slip through. Well, the author of Hebrews does the same thing. Right in the middle of his teaching on Christ's superiority to angels, he pauses and says, in effect, hey, listen to what I'm saying. It's important. I'm not just giving you some abstract theological treatise. I'm saying something you need to understand and act upon. Since Jesus is superior to angels, you really need to listen to what he said and act upon it. Because if we don't pay very close attention to what he has said, there's a real danger of drifting away from it. And the consequences of doing so are eternal. We're going to look again at the first four verses, chapter 2 of Hebrews. Verse 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. God has spoken. He has revealed himself and his will to mankind. We don't have to second guess 
God. He has spoken directly. In times past, he spoke through prophets and angels. But now he has spoken through his son, so we better listen up. It was good to pay attention to prophets. Those who did were spared a lot of grief. And a man was foolish not to pay attention to angels when they spoke. They had a power and a glory that few dared to overlook. But God has now spoken through his Son, and he is vastly superior to either prophets or angels. So we must pay even closer attention to what we've heard from him. If we don't, there's a real danger of drifting away from it. Now, the word translated drift away and the word translated pay attention are both nautical terms. The word for pay attention was used to mean make sure the boat is secure, that it's moored properly, that it's anchored securely. If it wasn't, there's a danger of drifting out of the safety of the harbor and crashing on the rocks. And that's the point the author is trying to make. If we don't listen carefully to what Jesus has said and anchor our lives to it, we're in danger of drifting away from it. And that is what most often leads to erect faith. You know, not many make a conscious decision to turn away from the Lord. They simply drift away. They quit listening and consequentially drift away. The gospel message had become so familiar that they quit paying attention to it. All they heard on Sunday morning was the preacher's voice. They didn't think about it. They didn't write it down for further conversation or study. They didn't type it into their iPhone or iPad or whatever other electronic device might be used to take notes. They just heard religious talk that made them feel religious or sleepy. Depended on whether they found it interesting or boring. They didn't take seriously what was being said. Or apply it to their lives so it slipped their mind and they drifted from the truth. Now that is very dangerous. Especially when we're drifting away from what the Lord himself has told us. For to forget, to ignore, or disobey what he has said can have eternal consequences. Those who took lightly. What angels said soon discovered the folly of their ways because they received a just recompense for their actions. And we should learn from that the demands of justice. Verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense. Let's just stop there. And focus for a minute on the word spoken through angels. Now, it's obvious that the author isn't here thinking of general announcements given through angels. He's thinking about the law, referring to it as the word spoken through angels. Now, the Old Testament 
It doesn't actually state that the law was given to Moses through angels. In Deuteronomy 33, 2, it says the Lord came from the midst of 10,000 holy ones on Sinai. But it doesn't specifically say that the law came through them. The New Testament, however, does make a direct connection between angels and the law. In Acts 7, 53, Stephen accuses the Jews of not keeping the law as ordained by angels. And in Galatians 3, Paul speaks of the law as having been ordained through angels. The author is therefore affirming something understood, if not actually stated, about angels, and that is that the law came through them. And the point he's making is that the word that came through angels, the law, proved to be unalterable. It couldn't be changed. So God wanted said. And the fact that it was unalterable was evidenced by those who transgressed or disobeyed it. Now, transgression and disobedience are similar in meaning, but yet have a significant difference. A transgression is generally seen as a positive offense, actively doing what the law forbids. It's stepping across the line, a line drawn by revelation and often reinforced by conscience. Disobedience, however, is more of a negative offense, neglecting to do what the law commands. It originally meant to hear imperfectly and then to hear carelessly ended up meaning an unwillingness to hear. The deliberate shutting of the ears to the commands and warnings and advice and invitations of God. The author is stating in no uncertain terms that those who transgressed or disobeyed the law given by angels received a just recompense. They got what they deserved. Justice demanded they be punished we're not taking seriously what had been said. And Israel's history offered adequate testimony to the truthfulness of this. Time and again, God punished them for drifting away from his will. Justice demanded that they learn that God meant it when he said, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. And if God will curse those who fail to take seriously that which was delivered to the agency of angels, what hope do we have of escaping the demands of justice if we take lightly what has been spoken by his Son? Especially since that which his Son delivered to us is the only escape. How shall we neglect, or how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also bearing witness with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his will. If the word spoken by angels condemns us, and it does. For that was the purpose of the law, to make us realize our imperfections and our sin. Then the word of salvation spoken by the Lord, by the Son, dare not be ignored. There is no escape 
from the demands of justice, at least in God's court. Justice demands that the penalty for sin, willful transgressions or apathetic disobedience be paid. And that penalty is death. But Jesus came bringing good news. He would pay the penalty for us. And he's the only one who could do it. He's the only one who could pay the penalty for sin and not forfeit his own eternal life doing so. He is our only means of escape. If we neglect that offer of salvation, we have no escape. That's not a popular message. And even some evangelicals today are saying, oh, God's going to save everybody eventually. Love will win. No one will go to hell. It's not what the scriptures teach. Christ is our only means of escape. And it takes faith in him, confidence in him. And if we neglect what he's done, if we neglect what he has said, we have no escape. Notice the writer says neglect. He doesn't say reject it. He just says neglect it. If we take lightly so great a salvation, if we fail to pay close attention to it, we will drift away from it. We leave the secure harbor of faith and trust by simply doing nothing. We don't have to actively reject our faith to lose it. We can lose it by simple neglect, by failing to keep it anchored to the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we've got to pay attention to what He says. We've got to know it and act upon it, all of it. And he did speak personally. God himself spoke to us. He took on flesh and spoke directly with us. He told us what he wanted us to know. Now, it's true that he's no longer here in the flesh. But we know he was here because those who heard him with their ears and saw him with their eyes and touched him with their hands have confirmed it. On the basis of two witnesses, every fact can be confirmed in a court of law. And that God has spoken directly with man was confirmed by hundreds of witnesses. The author of Hebrew made the point of stating that it was confirmed to us by those who heard, by witnesses. We don't just believe something we want to believe. We believe something that is historically verifiable. Now, as a side note, Luther and Calvin both use the statement that the author of Hebrews makes that the truth was confirmed by those who heard it to support their contention that Paul wasn't the author of Hebrews. In Galatians, he insisted that his knowledge of the gospel was firsthand, that he 
received it personally through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And they insisted that had Paul been the author, he wouldn't have said it's confirmed by those who heard. He would have said, I heard it. Because Christ had told it to him. Well, not everyone agrees that that conclusion is necessarily drawn from his statement there. And the belief that Paul was the author was held by many of the early church fathers, and I tend to agree with them. I think he may very well have been the author of Hebrews. But be that as it may, those of us who weren't privileged to actually hear Jesus speak, either on some Galilean hillside or through special revelation, can still know for a fact that he has spoken. Because we have written historical testimony from those who did hear it and saw it and were there. And to further confirm their testimony, God bore witness to it by signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's why the ministry of the apostles was accompanied by the miraculous. God was confirming what they were saying, something new, something hard to believe. The wonders attracted attention and gathered an audience. And the fact that there were miracles pointed to the divine or superhuman agency involved. God did some pretty fantastic things to confirm the testimony of the eyewitnesses. And he's still doing some amazing things to confirm the message that has been entrusted to the church by distributing within it gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, these gifts are not generally in the form of signs and wonders today. The list in Romans 12 doesn't even mention signs and wonders. But it does speak of prophecy, proclaiming the Word of God, and of teaching and exhorting, and acts of service and mercy and generosity and leadership. And these things... Exhibited in the church by common, ordinary people give testimony to the fact that God is very much involved in the church. That he has spoken. That he has given us a message to share and the gifts needed to do it. He spoke to us in his son. And we better pay attention. Every one of us must take seriously the fact that our Lord has spoken. We better know what he has said. We better strive to understand it, and we better be acting upon it. If we're not, we'll drift from it. And there is no escape if we neglect so great a salvation. If you've been Neglecting it, neglect it no longer. Come and express your commitment to a life of trust and obedience.